Hi, and welcome. This is Indisputable. I am Sharon Reed, and for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, who's earned the day off, Dr. Rashad Ritchie will be back with us soon. But joining us today is our special guest co host, Rick Strom, TYT Sports extraordinaire, executive producer. I mean, I can't stop watching whenever I turn on the tube and I watch your stuff, and then I don't know, an hour goes by. Right. Then I go to YouTube, maybe another hour goes by. So we love your perspective and thank you for joining Indisputable today. Anytime. Let's get right to it. We'll begin with, well, a scary situation. January 6th, rioter armed, found near the Obama's home. Here are the details, a man with materials to make explosives and an active January 6th related warrant was arrested by law enforcement in former President Barack Obama's Washington DC neighborhood Thursday. The suspect identified as 37 year old Taylor Toronto of Seattle. A January 6th writer who was being sued by the widow of a DC Metropolitan Police officer who died by suicide after an alleged attack involving Toronto and another man inside the Capitol. And the details are scary, here's what happened. The Secret Service spotted him within blocks of the Obama's home. According to a law enforcement official briefed on the matter, Toronto fled, Secret Service gave chase. He was running toward the Obama home, but was apprehended before reaching it. The reporting out of CBS News. Despite having an open warrant for January 6th charges, officials became more concerned about Toronto when he started making threats towards a public figure on live streams. Toronto's van parked close to where he was arrested. There were multiple weapons and the materials to make some kind of explosive device akin to a Molotov cocktail. But it had not been assembled according to law enforcement officials familiar with the details. He had said he had explosives, but first responders only found those materials to make them. Now, according to officials, he wasn't in Obama's neighborhood by mistake. This was no accident. Here's what they're relating. According to a senior law enforcement official, Toronto had been in Washington for several months. He'd been seen camping out in his van near the DC jail where many of the January 6th defendants are being held. And some of his live streams were apparently posted while he was in the DC area. How did he get the information on the Obamas? And you have a former president here. He's being watched closely, looked after by Secret Service members. Well, earlier Thursday, a Truth Social account that uses the same screen name that Toronto uses on other social media accounts reposted a Trump post that included what is alleged to be the address of Obama's home in Washington. And noted that the home is near a mosque. Got them surrounded, the Truth Social account wrote. NBC News has also been reviewing Toronto's Telegram account. His post, the last one, was a link to a website touting conspiracy theories about the Obama's home. How scary is this gonna get, folks? There's more. Washington police said in a statement, Toronto was arrested under an outstanding arrest warrant, though the police department did not specify what the warrant was for, and that he has been charged as a fugitive from justice. Officers had the explosives. Disposal team sweep his van near where he was arrested, the department said, adding that there is no active threat to the community. Again, 
These details from NBC News. Now, things like this are even more concerning when we have politicians seemingly supporting this kind of violence in the Capitol. Bring her up. Marjorie Taylor Greene promoting her new podcast with a picture of herself pulling up to the Capitol with a high capacity gun. Because that's how we promote new podcasts, apparently. And Rick, I just want to get your, well, the initial reaction that someone like this, a fugitive from justice, January 6th, ingredients for a Molotov cocktail, is able to even get this close to the former president's DC house. So a few thoughts, I'm gonna start with two trains of thought, firstly. Something that is funny and then something that's serious. The funny part is, these are the dumbest criminals known to man. Where they will literally live stream their criminal activities, basically saying like, hey, I'm right here. Come come get yeah. me, I'm gonna stream on Facebook, I'm gonna stream on YouTube. It's like they go after influencers, which is just so ironic because it's like they are becoming MAGA influencers to put their stake in the MAGA war field and saying, pick me, look mm. at what I'm doing. So dumbest criminals in the world. On a serious note, what Sharon said, and it's accurate. The former president continues over and over again to use very divisive rhetoric, especially when, and this goes back years with birtherism and whatnot. But basically what we are seeing is, and many people, at least on the left will acknowledge this, on the right will pander to it, that the former president is one of the biggest domestic terror threats in the United States of America because of the language that he continually uses. We do not see people that are, I mean, profoundly liberal and obviously further to the left of that, that are sending pipe bombs like Caesar Sayoc did. They are not former Coast Guards who, you know, like Bernie Sanders tweets and then target Matt Gates, for example. It just doesn't happen. This is all coming from one side. And the culture wars, everything is just a distraction. All of it is a distraction from them looking in their own house. We just saw Rick Scott a few days ago go to Twitter and say that there's a certain select few people that are not welcome in Florida, socialists. And I saw a tweet from Jamil Hill that replied, but these people are okay. And they were Nazis outside of Disney. So I just want everyone to pay attention to, yes, it's important to stand up for the marginalized at every cost at all times. But also understand that these are all distraction tactics by the right to say, we are not looking at the Nazis that support us. We are not looking at the domestic terrorists that are in our own house. Go and argue about LGBTQ rights. Well, it's just, it's just amazing to me and you're spot on because when you talk about how you gotta just call it what it is and you did, right? It seems to be one side who is perpetuating just the, the majority of this stuff. Yet the other side's accused of indoctrination and grooming and all kinds of things. Why do you think there is such an, you can't, I don't think, indoctrinate people without there being an appetite and availability for this. And I think we have to talk about where that is coming from. Mm. I agree. Um, 
What's interesting is you're talking about indoctrinating kids. One of the things that Taylor Taranto or Toronto loved was, according to himself, homeschooling his kids. This is part of what the Republican playbook is for many years now. And we are seeing it in real time have its own effects where they are saying, we gotta get moms for liberty in there who are pulling Hitler quotes on their newsletters. We need to dismantle public education and continue to privatize it and play up the boogeyman of teachers if they have just a book that has one sentence mentioning that they're same sex parents, it needs to get pulled. There's distrust within the public school system. Let's start homeschooling our kids and then what happens? I believe it was Mother Jones who had like a really, really well done investigative piece about how Nazis are teaching their kids Nazism. And taking them out of public education is a huge benefactor to themselves. Wow, and it just doesn't seem like it's gonna get any better. I couldn't agree more with the way you broke that down, analyzed it, if you will. But how does this kind of dangerous fugitive not find himself in custody until he actually gets to the neighborhood and takes off towards the house? It's in it's in sight. Because every time you mention the Secret Service, and I don't want to disparage anyone, but I keep thinking about these are the same people who protected Trump and there's mm-hmm. were those messages. Did we ever recover the messages? Where where were those deleted messages? Um, because they they've got to contain explosive information, or else you would have deleted them. All of you deleted them. I just wonder why this guy, this is the powerful arm of the United States government, okay? The police, and yet he's right outside Obama's house. How does it happen? I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I couldn't. It's impossible to say, say. but let's talk about those three letters. MTG and her podcast and the, she's a provocateur. We We understand that. Do we have to talk about her? Well, we don't have to, (laughs) but well, you know what? You're right, we're gonna move on from her and her initials, okay? I'm not gonna give her podcast any kind of boost and that's what we're doing, okay? Yeah, screw the podcast. Supreme Court of the United States, another day, another moonwalk backwards. Affirmative action, the ruling effect on medical schools. Because it's over, folks, for now, for now. The war on affirmative action spreads fear and uncertainty on health disparities within the black and brown community. There are consequences and there are tentacles and they are far reaching. Let's give you the background on SCOTUS's decision to strike down affirmative action. On Thursday, SCOTUS ruled that affirmative action programs violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution and are therefore unlawful. The votes. Six to three in the UNC case, six to two in the Harvard case. The ruling now bars race as a factor in admissions. Justice Sotomayor dissented, saying, increasing the number of students from underrepresented backgrounds who join the ranks of medical professionals improves health care access and health outcomes in medically underserved communities. NBC News. Data supports Justice Sotomayor's opinion. Provides empirical evidence to demonstrate the need to continue to factor in race as part of the admissions process. 
Blacks and Latinos are both more likely to have more chronic and life-threatening health conditions and to lack health insurance as a result of systemic racism. That's according to the Kaiser Foundation. Furthermore, research shows that health outcomes for the black and Latino communities are better when treated by doctors who share their ethnicity. Again, Shar Adams there, NBC News doing the reporting. It's a fact, as a black woman, I seek out, not exclusively, but I seek out black doctors for these very reasons, facts, not just anecdotal. How SCOTUS's decision impacts the black and brown community, more on it, explaining how dreadful the decision is to the underserved communities, Secretary of Health, Xavier Becerra says, this ruling will make it even more difficult for the country's colleges and universities to help create future health experts and workers that reflect the diversity of our great nation. The health and well-being of Americans will suffer as a result. Dr. Blackstock, a physician, founder of Advancing Health Equity, says fewer black health professionals means less culturally responsive and equitable care for black patients. Also, the lack of black representation among black healthcare professionals is a problem for younger generations since you can't be what you can't see, okay? You have to see it to believe that you too can be it. That sounds very simple and it's true. Black and Latino students representation, that's grown. However, it is still overwhelmingly small though compared to whites. As of 2019, 54.6% of all medical students in the country's medical schools were white. And black and Latino students accounted for 11.5% according to the Association of American Medical Colleges. In 2022-23, black students enrollment into medical schools accounted for 10%. Latino, Hispanic or Spanish origin students, 12% total. Matriculants, according to the Association of American Medical Colleges. Now, there's an illustration in the Wall Street Journal that shows the damage this has done um, using past examples. So, um, watch this. In the 90s, Californians voted for Proposition 209, which banned public universities from considering race. Zach Bleemer conducted a massive study in California following students that applied before and after Prop 209, looking at where they eventually enrolled, graduated, and then at their wage statements. So you can see, so long as they stay in the state of California, where they work and how much they earn all the way through 2020, you know, 25 years almost after the affirmative action ban was implemented. What he found was that Black and Hispanic enrollments at more selective schools like Berkeley dramatically fell when they couldn't include race in their admissions process. Moderately selective schools had almost no change, but enrollment at less selective schools actually rose. Because most Black and Hispanic students didn't not go to college, they just went to less esteemed ones. You got this cascade effect of Black and Hispanic students on average enrolling at a university that's just a little bit less selective than the universities they used to have access to. Kids who used to go to Berkeley are now going to UC Davis. Kids who used to go to UC Davis are now going to UC Santa Cruz. What happened is pretty substantial negative ramifications for these students. They became less likely to earn STEM degrees, less likely to go to graduate school. Those with the lowest GPA and test scores became less likely to even graduate. 
And overall, Black and Hispanic students earned less in their careers than those admitted before Prop 209. One thing we've learned from affirmative action bans is that the kids who are admitted to more selective universities as a result of race-based affirmative action tend to receive greater value from those institutions in terms of the degree to which those institutions lead them to more successful jobs or more success generally in the labor market than the whiter Asian students who tend to take their places after the end of affirmative action programs. Okay, so that lays it out, um, I think, eloquently. Um, but we'll leave you with this before we, we discuss further for the sake of future generations. Here's the quote, we need more black physicians, more Latino physicians, because being a doctor is a form of opportunity for individuals. And we should all have the same access to opportunities to fulfill whatever our potential is. That's from Max Jordan, Nguemi. Tayako, a medical student at Yale University who writes about racism in the medical field. Um, and it just, you know, Rick, here's the thing um, with the Supreme Court's um, moonwalking and undoing and just uh, rolling it back. The schools should be able to come up with a policy to figure this out and thread a needle. That's really what we're talking about here, threading a needle. I'd like to see them start though by, I don't know, taking away some other unfair things like legacy, other yes. white privilege action items. Couldn't we start there? Well, okay, maybe you can't solve this other thing yet, but let's level the playing field just a little bit. It's not gonna be nearly level, okay? And let's make it so that, you know, um, you're not gonna be able to get in just cause your mommy or daddy did or somebody gave some money or I don't know, your grandfather's names on a building, whatever it is. It's a simple thing, but why aren't, I'd like to see the universe, if you really care, and I know it's about donations, why not start there? Well, if we were to broaden the scope of just the term donations, then what you would riddle out is something that the Young Turks have stood for for about 20 years now, which is getting mm -hmm. money out of politics because all of this is political. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. Um, there is somebody that I know who had better grades, better test scores than someone else who got into an Ivy League school because the latter's parents donated to put yeah. their name on, I don't remember what it was, let's call it a soccer field or a building. And they got in over the person that I knew who had better test scores and better grades. So what Sharon is saying is completely accurate. On top of this, and I know that he's been talked about a lot, all right? And they had a chance to write this wrong many, many years ago for him to not even get a lifetime appointment on the court. But Clarence Thomas talking about colorblindness is insane to me. We do not live in a colorblind society. He was talking about how the constitution is colorblind. I find that to be literally impossible when you have people that owned slaves that wrote the constitution. Um, on top of this, what I view this as is they want to take this away to then lead to further damage. I feel like personally, and I'm not saying this with complete confidence, but it wouldn't surprise me. They're going after same sex marriage. They're going after affirmative action. 
they could, even though I don't think it'll happen, they could go up against and overrule, I'm sorry, withdraw the law being Brown versus Board of Education. And I think it's only gonna get worse. To add on to that, one of the things that we talked about was legacy admissions. If this were to happen, you would see so many middle-aged and even up-and-coming conservative white men be a microcosm of parents in suburban America who are really pissed about any form, any form of understanding of systemic racism, any. Um, my last point is this. It's really interesting that they're okay with legacy admissions, they're okay with athletics, they're okay with financial aid. Yet race is the deciding factor. And when you really dig deep into it, you carve out the same thing that we started this with, at least my rant with, which is money and politics. Because this entire case was brought to the Supreme Court by a conservative who I believe his last name is Blum. And yeah. they are talking about how um, AAPIs were um, the faces of it for Mr. Blum, who's a conservative. And they're saying that they don't agree with affirmative action. The statistics have shown that when affirmative action is removed, the enrollee status of AAPIs only go up a very minimal amount. And I'm saying this as obviously a mayonnaise fella. This is only going to benefit people who look like me. Yeah. It will not benefit our other Americans who don't look like me. Wow. Well. You're beautiful, Hugh of mayonnaise. Okay, I'm sorry <laughs> with that. You're, you're wonderful. Um, and I listen. I've long argued with colleagues who don't get it and don't understand their privilege. This is the real. What you're talking about is the real affirmative action mm -hmm. in America. Okay, but it's been spun and this lie has been woven, and now it's been taken to the highest court in the land. And the man who has a hue that's closer to me is. Um, the poster child for the lie. We'll keep following it. I will say this, I said it yesterday on a TYT program, damage report. Good I'd luck. like to see, yeah, but I'd like to see the left be on their toes instead of their heels. I'd like to see people who say they have these core values and they do springing into action long before they're doing these manufactured cases, the other side. They were already peeling away these protections. Get after it. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Remember that? Okay. Be aggressive. We'll move on though. Um, and this one's for you, Ricky. ESPN cutting around 20 on-air stars in another round of layoffs. We'll show you ESPN is laying off some of its biggest stars, including Max Kellerman, Keyshawn Johnson, Jalen Rose, Jeff Van Gundy, Susie Kolber, Matt Hasselback. Purge that is expected to result in around 20 on-air personalities being let go Friday as the network hopes to save tens of millions of dollars. Post has learned layoffs involve top NFL, NBA and ESPN radio personality according to sources. These are some big names and you see the pictures there. ESPN 
informed all of its employees Friday morning of the forthcoming cuts on an internal website according to a memo obtained by the Post. ESPN will be telling some employees with contracts that they will still be paid, but they will no longer be on air. If an on air person finds him or herself in this position, they will likely be able to work at another network, but we'll have to hash it out with ESPN's legal department. At the beginning of Disney's three rounds of layoffs, sources told the Post that at ESPN, there would be no sacred cows when letting go of personnel. Now we have to pause there and I have to bring you in now, Rick, because it's that it's that last sentence there, the statement which is fraudulent. Yes. It's my opinion, but it's fraudulent. There's no sacred cows, I'll let you go and then I'll dive into the rest. So they may not say, they may say there's no sacred cows. They could potentially be waiting for higher contract employees' contracts to come up because we saw with, um, you know, you mentioned Susie Culver. I'm looking at the contracts that weren't renewed. Neil Everett was one of the best ESPN hosts. His contract wasn't renewed. Rob Nikovich and Chris Chelios, former players in their respective sports of hockey and football. What I will say is this: like you have these legacy outlets, right? And they're trying to fit their program into the digital space, yet. When they try to do it, it's like square peg round hole. They have so much money invested in Monday Night Football, literally billions. They have NBA contracts and many, many more. Yet a lot of these people are suffering while meanwhile, simultaneously, Pat McAfee gets a bag, Stephen A's making a good amount of money. They could potentially clear up some cap space to make a run for Shannon Sharp. Like I'm really interested where they are gonna go from here, but please continue. Yeah. There- it's like the rest of the world, the haves versus the have-nots, okay? I I know some people walk through ESPN and the starting salaries and some of the consistent salaries. I don't know how you could live. I don't know how you could live versus where on earth are they getting these enormous sums of money to pay some others? I don't get it. Well, the likes of Stephen A. Smith, Scott Van Pelt, Joe Buck, Some other big names are not at risk. There are expected to be decades long on air talent let go. So who's up on the board, coach? Despite the cutbacks, talent like Pat McAfee, the network recently inked to a five year deal in the neighborhood of 85 million for his show that begins in the fall on ESPN. ESPN executives believe McAfee's deal will make the network money from day one. I I hate just saying executives because I wonder who these people are who are making these enormous consequential decisions. When I first read the 85 million, I thought, well, that's a typo. It's gotta be a typo, right? Is that not a typo? It's not. It's actually written in a legal document that is signed and countersigned. ESPN's parent company, Disney, Previously had three rounds of layoffs with the goal of eliminating 7,000 jobs, which were ordered by the company CEO, Bob Iger. During those rounds, ESPN let go behind the scenes people, including longtime employees like top executive Russell Wolf, PR guru Mike Soltis, editor Chuck Salaturo. While the previous layoffs were because of a Disney mandate, ESPN chairman Jimmy 
Taro chose to delve into talent for this round, which means whoever ticked him off, he probably got the last. Whoever ticked him off or didn't golf with him, perhaps. <laughs> and I'm speculating. I don't have the right, but I do it anyway. Go golfing. Oh, we'll go down the bar, have drinks. Let's do. Yeah, you know, Susie probably she didn't go to these things or wasn't invited. Um, but they were on the chopping block, and perhaps he just wanted to make room for something else. Because it always seems to me when they lay people off, Rick, they find money in the next day or two. Mm-hmm. Okay, it feels like a day or two. Agreed. Um, by the way, if anybody wants to buy me a drink, whiskey neat. Um, so here's what I'll say about ESPN. Um, I think the McAfee move was actually a good move on his part. From a company perspective, I'll get there in a second. He was making more money with FanDuel. But I think what he sees is the Dan Levitard model of I'm gonna go to ESPN, make a name for myself, grab more of the audience that ESPN has to offer. Because at ESPN, unless you're Chris Berman or Linda Cohn, everybody has a shelf life. So he's gonna go to ESPN, gain more notoriety, bring his audience to ESPN. And then when the clock strikes zero, he's gonna bounce and then probably make even more money. Let me ask you a quick question though, considering how, like we've both been in broadcasting for a while, considering how much these companies are changing and they're trying to adapt to cord cutting while still having the you know, modern TV principles. If you, let's say you have uh, you've kids, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, I really wanna go into broadcasting and I wanna be a broadcaster. Would you advise them like to not go into it in your opinion? Like the the dynamic is changing so much and there's so many people that I know that have been fired in this not let go in this industry because of like cord cutting. Like what what's your opinion on that? Like do you think you would advise your children to never get into broadcasting? I'd advise my next door neighbor to seek employment elsewhere, okay? I think that the business you're right, it's changed so much that I'd want to support her in whatever she wants to do, but I want her to go in with her eyes wide open. This ain't your your mommy's gig. It's not even my gig anymore. You have to look wide and understand what's out there and what's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's no longer there. It's people say, you know, I always wanted to be a talk show host. And people keep pointing to Oprah, Oprah, Oprah as the gold standard. What brought her to prominence and worldwide fame and fortune all those years ago, was it the 80s? That doesn't exist anymore. There will never be another Oprah in that sense, okay? It doesn't mean if you wanna be talk show host, go for it. But understand what's out there, what's not, the landscape and how to get what you want, which I think should start with your desires, happiness, making the world a better place, whatever. There's a way to get it done. But it's not the old way. Much more indisputable when we come right back. Rick Strom is our special guest host, TYT Sports executive producer, TYT Sports extraordinaire. Um, we're right back. This is indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed filling in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie, Rick Strom, TYT executive producer and on air talent is our special guest host today. Um, let's get you some of your uh, comments, very chatty you are about some of the things we had on in the first segment, the Capitol rioter found outside former President Obama's home, eclectic, 
Miscellaneous says, for decades in the US, one thing people agreed on was that no matter where you fell on the political spectrum, violence was not legitimate in our political process. Violence would be condemned. Now, MTG and friends are openly calling for it. Again, TYT member, eclectic miscellaneous. Then you get the memo. We're not talking about her today, but you're right <laughs> about the violence. You're right about it. It's this is a whole new world, baby. SCOTUS and the effect on medical schools and black and brown people participating. Mickey C, Silver Hair Dragon. Supreme Court wants college admissions to be more equitable. That's why they banned legacy admissions and favorable treatment of kids of the wealthy, right? Right? See, this is what we're talking about, right, Mickey C? Um, about ESPN, which Rick and I were talking about in the break again. Bill's Dragon Circles the Wagon says, loving some more of the sports takes today. Need more of this on TYT. Well, that's why Rick's here. Also, shout out to Rick for supporting healthy living by showcasing an elliptical. Never seen a contributor <laughs> have that in the in the background. And I do were you trying to make a public service announcement, Rick? No, I was not. Um, yeah, like we, we had a place. We had a place. It fell through, and uh, this is where I'm shooting for. I'd say the next month or so. So, well, if you were trying we to send a message, we mm. appreciate you. Anytime. We'll give you one more. See, Michael Henson. Thank you for that. By the way, uh, see, Michael. When someone from our community climbs the ladder, again, this is about Supreme Court. Another decision today to success. The right thing to do is reach back and help others come up. Thomas, as in Clarence. Benefited from affirmative action, but now wants to destroy the ladder. Um, wow, wow, um, it's true. And um, it's like he's saying, what are you gonna do? But it's, not, it's almost like Clarence Thomas is saying, I wanna be the only one, okay? I wish a Karen would. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You feel free, back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. you ever been in a club? Maybe one of your buddies had a little too much to drink. I don't know what went down here, but you have a ratchet, Karen, in this case, <laughs> pulling a gun in the club, Rick, and have at it. <laughs> oh, um, have I seen this before? No. Um, have I been to the club? Yes. Has someone been heavily intoxicated in the club? Yes. Um, I got to be honest, like I was like squinting to see. Um, you know, there's one thing that I got to say about that club. Um, you could say she shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, there was no one there. That's the yeah. joke. Uh, there's no one there. Yeah. So, so look, um, 
This is a microcosmic of America's lax gun laws, where someone can pull a firearm on another person when they're trying to have fun and have a few drinks, and then potentially end someone's life because of a disagreement. Um, a conservative would say, like Lauren Bober, well, what about knives? I'd take my chance with a knife. I, I'd take my chance with a stepbrother's uh, martial arts sword over a gun. The <laughs> fact that it escalated to this, <laughs> this quickly, and could have been tragic, uh, speaks a lot to America's gun culture, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think you're right. Impulse control. Well, every Karen lacks it, or they wouldn't. They don't even meet the threshold of becoming a Karen. Okay, so it's here. It's present here, but just the the, the ease with which you know it's pulled out and you know brandished at people is just um, well, it's stunning. I don't know what more we could say about this Karen, except that hopefully help is on the way, both internally and externally. And you know, we'll just leave it there. Next segment, a man has the most MAGA chair ever created. Hmm. You can take a gun and shoot somebody in the face, it's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math, somebody say amen. That's something else, right? <laughs> Where can you pick that up? Is that at Sam's Club? A lot to unravel with this. It's a contraption from the stickers and flags to the giant dueling machine guns. Will you feast your eyes on that? What looks like a flamethrower with a propane tank and a crown royal bag. I would think it's so hot though. Isn't this going to be hot? I don't know if it's real leather, it appears to be pleather. But a lot of thought went into this contraption. And just, um, you've got your elliptical, you don't have this Rick Strom. But what Gladly. do you make of the creativity here? Oh, Yeah, the creativity, I don't. Um, and I, when I look at this again, all I think of, if we could just roll one more time so I could see it again. Yeah. Um, what I think of here is how there are so many people within this hemisphere who just want to signal to others that I am the most MAGA of the most MAGA. Mm. I am the one, pick me, pick me. I have dual machine guns. Like, this is unbelievably stupid. And I'm sorry, we gotta keep it a buck. Like this is incredibly dumb, incredibly dangerous, and also incredibly lazy. Yeah. yeah. Like he's he's in a chair mm -hmm. that he probably has in his living room where mm -hmm. he served TV dinners to watch Thursday night football. No electrical. Uh, mm -hmm. Only only getting Thursday night football, by the way. When it's free on Fox, because wow. he doesn't want to pay for Prime because wow. of Bezos and the commies who own yeah. the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And we see dual machine guns. Like America, in a nutshell, 
is what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that you were giving that build up there. I th- for some reason, what popped in my mind, I wrote it down, was a MAGA award show. And I'm stunned we haven't seen one. I don't know that I've seen it. One of those where someone is crowned top MAGA dog. No, I think we, I think we have. Mm. I think it's like the Fox News Awards. That part. I'm That's serious, yeah. like they have those awards mm-hmm. and they're awful. Hideous, unless you're into that sort of thing. True. Right, and apparently this gentleman can one more time we show it because with the machine guns and I don't know what went into building this or what it cost. Um, he probably could don't. get well, he could get the parts <laughs> at Walmart and several places, I'm sure, and and build this kind of thing. But don't try this at home, kids. Don't try this at home. And apparently, it's got some power behind it. Look at your life, America. Look at your life. We're right back. This is indisputable. Dr. Rashad Ritchie has the day off. Much more to come. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Sharon Reed in for Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Rick Strom is our special guest host today, our co-host. He is, of course, TYT Sports Extraordinarily host and executive producer. He's behind the magic there. We want to remind you, join Dr. Ritchie Sundays on Sirius XM Channel 126 for the Dr. Rashad Ritchie Review. You Does check it out. Never not work. He's doing 18 jobs, okay, and he's at tops of all of them. Uh, check it out, Sirius XM Urban View. That is Sundays at 1 p.m., 10 a.m. Pacific time. Um, you don't want to miss it. It's a good show. It's a comprehensive, um, fast-paced show. A black teacher now sues over racist students. The teacher is suing because of what they've gone through. Teachers filed a lawsuit accusing the Ottumwa School District in Iowa of encouraging students racist behavior by failing to impose sufficient discipline for such conduct. Rose to the level that lawsuit commenced. Robert Bender suing the Ottumwa Community School District in US District Court for the Southern District of Iowa and is seeking unspecified damages related to alleged harassment, discrimination, retaliation, violations of the Federal Civil Rights Act. Also named as defendants are Jerry Miller, a school principal, and Dana Wernicke, an assistant school principal. This is from the Iowa Capital Dispatch, the reporting. Now these are the defendants. Put them up, Jerry Miller and Diana Wernicke. Background on the teacher. Bender, who is black, began working for the district in July 2021 as a behavior instructor teacher and the high school's junior varsity boys basketball coach. Since then, he's also held the position of junior high school girls track coach, and he currently works for the district as a high school special education teacher. In his lawsuit, Bender alleges that from the time he first began working for the district in 2021, he has been the target of racially motivated abuse and harassment by students. In early September 2021, he alleges a student referred to him using the N word, while several coworkers witnessed the incident. They did not challenge the student's behavior, the lawsuit alleges. There were two more incidents, similar nature occurring in the weeks that followed. And after the matter was reported to Miller and Wernicke, the student who was involved was suspended for either a half day or a full day. What a surprise of calling your teacher the N word. Few hours apparently, 
Over the next three months, the lawsuit claims Bender was routinely referred to by the same racial epithet uttered by different students in front of other district employees, administrators, and students. Bender also received sticky notes with racist messages written on them. According to the lawsuit, Bender reported the conduct to Miller and Wernicke. Matter was referred to the district's executive director of human resources who assured Bender such behavior would not be tolerated according to the lawsuit. This makes me chuckle when I read that. March 2022, Miller allegedly reassigned Bender from a behavioral teacher to an inclusion teacher for the 2022-2023 school year. Reassignment was reportedly because Bender had allowed a student to walk out of his class. Common occurrence in the district, the lawsuit claims. Same month, a student at a bus stop allegedly directed the N-word Bender in front of staff and parents. And a few weeks later, used the word again in front of Miller. Student was not removed from the class and to Bender's knowledge was not disciplined. The lawsuit states Miller later told Bender that while he took no offense to the N-word, he understood why Bender would. It's your deal, bro. I don't, I mean, I guess I get it. Lawsuit alleges the defendants enabled students to harass and humiliate Bender throughout the student's severe and pervasive daily use of racial slurs and racially charged language. The district has denied these claims that they enabled harassment against Bender. The actions are so egregious and persistent as laid out by this lawsuit. I don't know what your defense is except, well, this is Iowa and this is what we're doing here. I, I really don't. It's stunning to me that it's so brazen, but then I say, well, why are you stunned, Sharon? Because again, in certain communities, certain pockets, more than perhaps we'd like to admit, it is what it is, Rick. Uh, that it is. What I would say is we're going to potentially learn a lot here. And I think the most important is, as always, the receipts. These are allegations that are laid out in the lawsuit. If what he is saying is true, okay, and he went to a certain department to report all this. And then the two folks that you showed at the beginning of this segment did little or nothing to right or wrong. Um, he's going to win, it's fairly obvious in my opinion. Um, on top of this, it's showing his character that he was a sports coach. And then when they said, hey, excuse me, they said, hey, we're gonna relocate you. He's working in special education. Um, that shows me a lot. On top of this, um, the fact that, and there's one story that's crazy to me inside of the story, which is uh, students receive suspensions for calling a teacher, uh, body shaming a teacher and slamming a door. Yet when it comes to allegedly racial slurs being uttered in the direction of a teacher. There's a timeout where said teacher who was allegedly racially abused has to supervise them to then receive more mistreatment. And it seems like there is no recourse. There is nothing good happening out of this. So I'm just glad that he is bringing our attention to this 
Because when it comes to small town America, and I've covered this many times over, these are serious issues that with the eradication of newspapers, mainly from conservatives and folks wow. like Sinclair, we're just not hearing a lot of these stories anymore. So it's very important. Wow, beautifully said. And this whole um, group think thing comes to mind because he can't have much support in this community. I mean, you heard the allegation in law. I don't see what the problem is with the word, but I, I guess I get it that you know you're offended. Whatever, <laughs> you know, cool story, bro. Um, the group think is enormous, and that kids, because even little bad kids who are saying these things, I actually don't think there are bad kids. I think they do bad things, but who puts them up to it? Who indoctrinates mm. them? Um, it's just a shame. I, I feel bad actually for the kids. This is wow. That's not who you came out of the womb as, it's who you became because of, yeah, all that. Middle school students posting pictures in blackface. It's not Iowa, this time it's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania School District investigating two middle school students for posting racist photos of themselves, blackface, in a bathroom at Pine Richland Middle School. Give you the background here. Photo was taken during field day activities on June 1 during their last week of school. Parents say that it is a time when students, well, they, they celebrate. You remember when school's out, different countries paint their faces, according to KDKA, reporting from them. One of the photos taken was captioned drip. As for the blackface photos, the school district didn't provide any details on how the students would be punished. KDKA TV said they reached out to board members on June 8. They only responded with contact district administration. Lena Blackstar with that detail. School district spokesperson sent the following statement to KDKA. District is aware of a racist photo involving two Pine Richland Middle School students that is completely inappropriate and offensive. This photo taken in a bathroom occurred during field day activities yesterday. We appreciate that students and parents brought it to our attention this afternoon. The building administrators are conducting an investigation and will take appropriate next steps consistent with the discipline code. Pine Richland School District spokesperson. It continues, Pine Richland School District values a school culture that is safe, supportive, welcoming for all students. We are opposed to racism in any form and the actions of these students. It is our goal to strengthen a positive culture for every student at Pine Richland. The foundation of learning is established in a safe and supportive environment. Past incidents involving the district. According to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, this is the second incident dealing with racism in Pine Richland School District this school year. September, a white student made a social media post that pictured him holding a sign. The sign read, if I was black, I would be picking cotton, but I'm white. So I'm picking you for homecoming. Oh, not even original. Okay, seriously, it's so right? unoriginal. It's unoriginal. Agreed. It also had cotton glued to the poster board. Maybe that's the you know for some texture to it. Again, this is Atlanta Black Star Greg Hollis with the reporting. Even this last part of the statement, I'm turning over to you, Rick. But it says there, you know, and it's just reporting by the Pittsburgh Post Gazette that says, well, this is the second incident this school year. No, it's not. 
as a black person, I, that's evidence. What I'm telling you is it's not, but okay, this is what we're reporting on. So, but you you take it you take it away and tell me what you think about the district's response and the allegations. I mean, look, we we make fun of the sign being unoriginal, but it is true. Like I can't tell you how many times last year when we were looking into stories of racism at sporting events involving athletes at the high school level. And at least I'd say four to five last year, we saw that sign of if I was black, I'd do this, but I'm white, so I'm picking you for homecoming. Like I agree with Sharon, completely unoriginal, doofus energy, bad juju. Mm-hmm. Um, as I look at this, uh, first off, Sharon said something really important in the last segment, and I'll apply it to this. Middle schoolers are on average, what, seven, eight years old, nine years old. Um, she said it beautifully, which was, you are not born this way. Um, you are taught this, some adapt to their surroundings, some get you know red-pilled off YouTube. There is, and I, I do believe this, uh, with a lot of people, there is room for growth to right a wrong. They are young enough to be educated. But then I look at what we talked about previously with how conservatives want to privatize education. So now I'm like, I don't even know if that's true anymore. I don't don't even know if the education is going to serve them properly. Um, Considering how young they are, I am just hoping desperately that they will learn why this wasn't okay. To my understanding also, this was on like a field trip. So like, you know, not to get some niche into this, but like they grabbed each other and were like, hey, let's go do let's go do blackface in the restroom. Like yeah. it just seems odd to me. Very odd. They had the time to go do glam in the restroom. They went and did glam, got into blackface. And you're exactly right. Because this to me is, and I mean I mean this completely, it's child abuse. This is indoctrinating of these children. It's child abuse. I have friends who grew up in this kind of sick environment who made it out, if you will, and and were deprogrammed. And um, it's abuse and it sets them up for, believe it or not, racism doesn't just hurt black people. Well, we're up here, okay, and then there's that. (laughs) But it hurts all all of us, it really does. Um, You figure out what I mean, it hurts all of us. She used her ukulele and she likes that instrument. Colleen Ballinger denies the allegations using music. Popular YouTuber faced multiple allegations of grooming over the years recently. Apologized, was it? Was it? For her actions. She did it in the worst possible way. Listen. Hey, it's been a while since you saw my face. I haven't been doing so great, so I took a little break. A lot of people are saying some things about me that aren't quite true. Doesn't matter if it's true though, just as long as it's entertaining to you, right? You guys having fun? All aboard the toxic gossip train, chugging down the tracks of misinformation. The toxic gossip train, you got a one-way ticket to manipulation station. 
Tie me to the tracks and harass me for my past Cause rumors look like facts If you don't mind the gaps I won't survive in the crash But hey, at least you're having fun It's a catchy tune but you got to dissect the lyrics. But it's it. She knows how to use that instrument, doesn't she? Colleen Ballinger, Miranda sings. Denies grooming allegations and is facing extreme backlash for her apology video, which is just her playing that ukulele, singing for 10 minutes about being canceled. Well, here's what she admits in the video used to message my fans, but not in a creepy way, like a lot of you are trying to suggest. It was more of a loser kind of way. I was just trying to be besties with everybody. She described this as weird aunt behavior, acknowledging that there were times in DMs when I would overshare, but that she had changed her behavior and took accountability. Jezebel with the reporting. This has come in response to recent accusations. Some of the first came in 2020 when now 20 year old YouTuber, Adam McIntyre posted a YouTube video saying that Ballinger had forged an inappropriate friendship with him between the ages of 13 and 16. He also claimed that Ballinger had sent him lingerie as a joke, allowed him to log in to her social media and texted him privately while he was underage, period of years, folks. In response to the grooming accusations, quoting, well, I just wanted to say that the only thing I've ever groomed is my two Persian cats. I'm not a groomer, I'm just a loser who didn't understand I shouldn't respond to fans. Now, these accusations don't come without photos to back them up though. There's always the photos, okay, lives forever. And here they are. See the first one, been debating posting this picture, but this was me on stage. She encouraged her fans to wear revealing clothing so we would get called on stage. And then she exploited us and our bodies for her own gain. So yeah, I'm okay with calling her a predator. Another one, a child seen reaching into Miranda Sings, Colleen Ballinger's pants for cheese balls during the show. And there are others, we can keep going, inviting us to sleepovers when we were all like 13 to 17. There's a lot to unpack here. I must say this, every family's different. Every family has different kinds of people who come together, not because they necessarily want to, but because they share DNA. I can say a lot, I don't have an aunt who does this. Doesn't mean she's not doing other things, but it's not gonna get into that. But I don't have an aunt who tells kids to reach into her pants for cheese balls. Rick, I don't have anyone in my family that I know of who's doing this. Uh, no, likewise. I mean, Rolling Stone um, has a lengthy piece, and I want to credit the writer here, uh, C.T. Uh, Jones. He had a few pieces that really goes into great detail of what we're talking about here. So I would send everyone after you watch this to go see that and uh, read that. What I find rather interesting is through all of these wrongs that some people have or that they put on themselves, it truly does seem like apologizing is just a lost art. Like instead of saying I was wrong, my bad, there's 
more profit and to them a better avenue in putting out stuff like this instead of just saying, yeah, that was me, that was really bad. Um, of course, she's now gonna deny everything, even though we have proof from multiple people, including not just the group chat where they talked about, or it was titled weenies or something, um, where there were underage kids, but also that she had free labor from underage kids. And then according to the reporting, drop them when it was convenient. So there's a lot here. Um, there are multiple experts who have weighed in on this. Um, what I will do though, uh, whether you like him or hate him is give a shout out to Howie Mandel because he grabbed a guitar and mocked this. <laughs> and that was one of the best videos that I've seen in response to this. There are many TikTokers who are mocking her, rightfully so. But uh, shout out to Howie because I saw that video and it made me chuckle. So it was pretty solid. What do you think about um, the kids reaching an age of majority, kids know more and, and standing up to this because there's some, well, she's flat out basically saying this is a mob mentality. And we've seen a mob mentality, it does exist. But in this case, um, can she get away with that as her? Her defense. Um, time will tell. I mean, I would revert back to my, I would point back to my original point, which is she's not going to admit to any of these things because it does not benefit her. And it does not benefit people like her to admit those things. They will, you know, fall on their own sword before they say, yep, that was me, my bad. Uh, I'm really curious to see where this goes though, because we have the literal proof right in front of our eyes. I, I, I'm really curious how this transpires. Me too, because we've seen other examples where uh, you know purported victims have come back and said this or that about a TikToker, uh, you know, an influencer, and some have been canceled and some are still um, doing what they do. I want to see where this goes to um, and, and how it breaks down uh, comparatively to men who've been accused of this, but we'll see. Uh, much more indisputable when we come back. Welcome to the bullpen. I'm kind of nervous for this one and it starts with just your name because I want to get it just right. Although I don't think I'll have the right you know, spin on it. Elam Wallam, um, I did it, okay. The, I'm sure people tell you this, you just say it quickly, but it's a smooth, brilliant name and you're a brilliant talent. Um, CEO of Edgar Watch Company, actor on numerous television shows that we all love. Films including AMC's The Walking Dead, Netflix's Slasher, frequent guests on Fox News, Western Journal, and The Daily Wire. So it's an honor to have you in the bullpen today. And I want to talk about your work, but I want to start with with this ongoing the strike because a lot has changed and a lot could permanently change. The stakes are high, and just you know reading the the article from Variety, and there's there's many out there. 
Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, your fellow actors, Rami Malek, urging SAG-AFTRA leaders to take a hard line. Okay, they're, they're saying basically when it comes to the writers and the strike and everything that's going on, this is not the time to have a middle ground. It almost sounds like they're saying, don't negotiate here because the stakes are too high. What say you? It's such a complicated situation because there's been such an advancement in technology so quickly. So everything that has to do with streaming has become completely unfair to any of the talent, whether it's the writers, whether it's the actors. Because no one was prepared for it, no one had a way to deal with it. And so just the most basic things like residuals got thrown out the window, which is a major part of how people survive when they're in this industry. So there has to be something that changes there. The problem is that some of the things they're asking for on AI, in my opinion, are difficult because it's coming. It's a new technology, it's coming and it's dangerous to everyone in the arts. I always thought, I'll just say this, I always thought that the last thing that would be taken from everyone because of AI would be art. I thought that was the last wow. thing that computers would get right. And that's the thing they're amazing at apparently, so it's uh, it's scary. Yeah, it is scary. And to hear you say that, that you know, they're perhaps being aggressive in, in that way because it is so scary. But then what, what can one do? You know, I read an article and it was stunning to me that there are writers who have penned um, hits, been part of collaborations that are just, incredibly well received by audiences around the world. And they sometimes can't or can barely pay their rent. People don't understand the business. They think someone such as yourself, a writer, if you're part of this TV world, you're all rich. And so enlighten people about the haves and the have nots. Yeah, there's a huge misconception about about anything in, in this kind of artist world. So. One of the main things is you could write a huge, huge hit for streaming television. And whether it's Netflix, Hulu, whatever it is, there's no guarantee that you're making any money off that past what they initially paid you. So you could have one of the most successful shows in history, which some writers out there do have. And it doesn't actually benefit you monetarily. You might be able to ask more on your next gig. But we've kind of come into this place where people don't know how to set up long term stability for themselves because of how streaming has changed the industry so fast and how no one kind of kept up with it to the point of saying, okay, we need to be more transparent. These companies are not transparent, by the way, with how many views they get and kind of the royalties that should be paid out because there's no structure for it in place. So there, yeah, there's no direct correlation to being successful as a writer on a show and necessarily having millions of dollars. That's just not the case anymore. And so I want to talk about sustainability and if things don't change, if certain aspects of the industry will collapse because some people think that's true. But before we get there, you mentioned the streaming. And again, just the research, there is so much money that's being made. And you've said that, well, you know, it came on and people didn't really prepare for it. And it it feels like these powerful companies, they did know it was coming or at some point realized how good this can be. And we're talking now about enormous greed, enormous greed, because they're making so much money and breaking off so little to those who stirred the drink, so to speak, that it is what brought us to today. Is it an unfair assessment? I think the problem is you have now an entire library at all times of every show that's ever been made, every movie that's ever been made. So if you're a writer, if you're an actor, if you're trying to come into this industry, 
there's so much competition, there's so much content being created all the time. It's become so hyper competitive. And we've stepped away a lot from making really story driven shows to stuff that we just know is gonna push and sell, push and sell. And I think that's part of the problem too. We have to get back to being hyper creative because maybe that's the area we beat AI when it comes out. Maybe there has to be something that changes in the industry. Um, I almost wish there was less content, but there was better content because I spent 400 hours a day trying to look for a show I wanna watch and I don't know what to watch. We get this kind of choice paralysis. So if you're someone trying to present value nowadays in the industry, it's very, very difficult. Can the audience then help? Because perhaps if more of us are channel surfing or content surfing and we're not satisfied, um, demand is not being met. Can the audiences do anything to help with leverage here? Well, the power is entirely in the audience's hand. I mean, what you watch ends up driving what people in these studios put money toward. You saw with the flash, I guess there was a backlash toward Ezra Miller. I don't know exactly if it was that or just DC superhero fatigue, but the movie had a big hit when it came out and then it just crashed after that. It's It's been a disaster. So everything is driven by the consumer, by the viewer. Uh, I guess the the question comes down to what kind of future do we want to create in this industry? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of artists are just getting burnt out. You have a lot of content that's coming out that in my opinion is not at the standard it should be because we're not incentivizing people to create great stories anymore. Uh, Studios are just pushing for money, money, money. And then you have this industry that we have now, which is everyone kind of feels at a loss. They don't feel like they can sustain their lifestyle. They feel like they've just become gig workers who no one cares about. And it's sad, you see, I'll tell you a story that's that's really oh, ridiculous sure. in acting. I worked on a TV show and right during COVID, they were worried that we weren't gonna be come back on. So they scanned us and they took our likeness for perpetuity for that show. I don't even know if I'm entitled to my own likeness on that show. That's a Black Mirror episode. That is literally the Black Mirror episode that just came out. Wow. But that's where we're at. They will just scan you now. They'll scan you and say, okay, now we have, you didn't read the fine print. Do you actually have the right to your likeness? Um, and I think in the future, you're gonna see more and more and more of that. It's just stunning because I was talking to a creator, a director about this a couple of weeks ago. And he said basically what you just said. And I said, but that's stunning. And, it, and we then began to talk about commercials and why should a, a beverage company hire, say, a, a whoopee when they can just kind of create their whoopee? And she's not going to talk back and she's going to do what they say and deliver it well. And it's going to be well received. So, What more, and I wonder if you worry about backlash. When you have major talent like Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, um, who they're not really going away. And I don't know that they have to worry about it. But others who are signing on and who are helping the cause, including writers who are taking a hard stance here. Is backlash part of this thing? Can it be, will it be, is it? I mean, in the end of the day, it's, Without the writers and the actors, there's really still, we're not at the point where we could just create content without them. So sure, there's gonna be backlash, but if you take a hard stance in something you believe in, I think it's absolutely necessary. Again, I feel bad for everyone involved in this industry because I just don't know where it goes in the future. And so I'm always thinking about that. I'm always thinking about what's the next step. And it always comes down to just keep making good content, uh, you know, there's gonna be, I think the whole industry, all of Hollywood is changing. 
I think there's becoming new outlets for people to make money on their own independent channels where they can go out and they can put something up and people can support them there. I'm hoping there's a return to some extent to some of this VOD stuff where people pay to support the artists they like. And you know, I hope we take a trend to more of that towards that, but I really don't know. I don't know where it's going. Elam, I hear hope. Um, as I hear desperation as you set the scene for what's going on in Hollywood now and some of the changes. But I, I did hear flashes of hope in your last answer there that there are other ways that people creative such as yourself can turn to. Um, and so that, that seems positive, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I also wanna know what you're working on now and what excites you um, in the coming days and weeks and months and year. I just like making content of any kind. That's the thing I think most artists just like putting stuff out. So it doesn't matter to me personally if, I, if I'm making as much money on it. That's just me as an individual. I just like going out and creating content. I did a documentary which is really interesting recently on psychogenic epidemics and, and kind of society as a whole and how we're starting to have groupthink and polarization. And it's just, I'm just working on stuff I'm passionate about. In the end of the day, I never went into the arts and I think most you know, actors, writers, and everyone go into this just wanting to create stuff. They don't think about the money end of it until they have to. They have to put food on the table for their family. And that's where all that comes to. But um, I have a ton of hope. I think there's gonna be so many new outlets for us to create content. And if you're really driven by that, then you'll find an avenue for it. Um, you know, It's just one of the realizations is acting might not always be the thing that makes me the most money in my life. Okay, I'll still do it. I'm still passionate about it. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, and you're great at it, and let's hope it continues. I'm gonna give you the last word with this. Um, I had an actor tell me that, and a content creator, that the problem is when you bring a lot of the creative juices in, that some of the studios, they, they're not interested in that. It's very formulaic nowadays. Um, well, this was popping over here, and so this is what we're going with. Everything, you know, it's like the cyclical thing. Everything's a judge show, everything's a whatever. And so I wonder if um, you find that. And if that stamps down on creative juices or no, that if you just thread that needle and find the right place for your content, dreams can be realized. If you want to go with anything mainstream, absolutely, that's that's part of it. Everything is hyper formulaic, and unfortunately, you do have to step outside of that and take a hit on how much money you're going to make if you want to do something hyper creative. Typically, art house films don't make as much money as you know big blockbuster films. It's just how it is, and so. The creative end of it is usually more personal and you find an outlet for it. Well, we appreciate you joining us. We love you, we'll support you, we root for you. And I hope you'll come back and join us again on the bullpen. Thank you so much, Elon Mullen. How's that? Is that okay? It's close, Mullen, Mullen. You see that? I should have left it well enough alone. But we appreciate you and good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great interview. Great talent, and we appreciate them always. We'll see you next time on the bullpen.